0: John chapter 11 for our special Resurrection Sunday teaching. John chapter 11, I'm just going to pull a few things out of this chapter. We're actually going to come back on Wednesday night and walk it through verse by verse and hear the whole entire story of what took place because there are so many nuances here of things worth stopping and looking at. But for this morning, I want to pull out just a little bit, starting in verse 17, the story of Lazarus. Verse 17, Now when Jesus came, He found that He had already been in the tomb four days, that is, Lazarus. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard Jesus was coming, went out to meet Him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, He who comes into the world. Lord, I agree with Martha. You are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world and done it in such a way that man might see God, that that woman might understand God in the person of Jesus Christ. And and this morning, Lord, for us, this is no different than any other Sunday. Every week we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We worship You as risen, Lord, as God of the living, not God of the dead. But on this particular Sunday, Lord, we do pause, we do commemorate, we do think about what took place 2,000 years ago on that glorious morning when You broke the chains of death once and for all and rose from the grave and paved the way for us to follow. What a glory, what a wonder. We cannot praise You enough. We will not stop praising You for this, both now and forever. But right now, Father, as we get into the Word and think through these things, many of us have heard this so many times. May the story not be lost in our tradition. May the the impact still be felt. May our hearts still be stirred our emotions even, Father, uh, moved. And may we in our spirits and in our souls and in our bodies be ever more determined to walk with You until You come get us. And right now I ask for the power of Your Spirit to be poured out, not only on me as teacher, but on the entire body, the entire fellowship as listeners, as hearers of Your Word, that we might from here go and be doers of Your Word, Lord. And we thank You for the Word set before us this morning in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I was born, I blinked, and it was over. So wrote Emily Phillips, 69-year-old grandmother from Orange Park, Florida, who died 11 days ago, March twenty-fifth, 2015, of pancreatic cancer. But not before penning her own obituary. I was born... I blinked, and it was over. Miss Phillips inadvertently launched herself into 15 minutes of fame with a sweet 1,045-word sentimental journey. Writing her own obituary, it was published in Florida. It has now gone viral, I guess, on the internet, people reading, talking about, sharing this, this obituary in which she wrote, the memories I'm taking with me now are so precious and have more value than all the gold and silver in my jewelry box. I was born, I blinked, and it was over. Wise words. Especially for those young among us who think you've got all the time in the world. How fast it goes by. Now, I don't know what Mrs. Phillips believed. She doesn't say. Not really in her obituary. I don't know if her hope was simply in the memories or if it was in something more. She basically leaves a kind encouragement to smile, to find your arrow in life, to enjoy life, to appreciate things. And I guess it's pretty rare to write your own obituary, but we have the obituary of Jesus. You see, He did. What Mrs. Phillips did was when she wrote it, she gathered all her family around and she said, I want to read this to you. They all knew that she was dying and they didn't want to hear it at first, but she said, no, you you need to do this for me. And by the time she was done, there were tears, there was laughter, there was joy. Everybody gathered around and connected to this, this woman before she passed away. On the Thursday night before Jesus died, he gave what you might call his obituary, although it really wasn't a looking back. And that's the thing that is unique about Jesus. He doesn't talk about the memories. Peter, you remember that time you were picking your nose and John Hitching you got a bloody nose? Wasn't that the best, you know? He doesn't go over the things that they had been through. He leads them, prepares them for what is about to come. He spoke to His followers the night before His crucifixion. And I want to give you the summation. This is the summation of John 14, 16, and and 15. All of that Thursday night discourse, as we call it, you can sum it up in five words. John 14, 19. If you know any five words from the Gospel of John, you need to know these five. John 14, 19. Because I live you will live also. I guess that's more than five words. Because I live, you will live also. Seven words in just seven words! <laughs> the entire message of the Gospel is summed up, because I live, you will live also. Now you see, Emily Phillips was two-thirds right. I was born, I blinked. And then she says, it was over. And that's where Jesus uh, turns and changes course. Oh yeah, I was born, I blinked, and because He lives, I will live also. And that is the obituary of anybody who follows the Lord. That's where we're headed. Yes, this life goes by in a flash, it is a blink, but I will live. How do you know you will live, Rick? How can you be assured, because He lives. Because He lives, I will live also. Because Jesus was born. He blinked and He kicked open the doors to eternal life. I will live also. And those aren't just kind words to comfort and soothe. In fact, if you read through John 14, 15, 16, they're not just words of comfort. There's comfort there. But there's more encouragement for the road ahead. Because I live, you will live also. His words go to the very heart of our existence. Because I live, you will live also. My future hope does not rest in memories spoken at a funeral. My future hope does not rest in an obituary printed in the paper. In fact, if anything is ever printed after I die, if I die, hopefully I won't die. But if there's anything written of me, I hope it's just John fourteen nineteen. Rick Crawford died this day, hit by a bus. <laughs> because I live, you will live also, Jesus. You see, Romans 1.4 says, Jesus Christ was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Now, He was the Son of God before. He was God in the flesh before the resurrection, but the resurrection declares it to us, confirms it to us, Jesus who could not stay dead. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter verse 1, Paul says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the Gospel. I wanted to make sure and get it in this morning. Should anybody miss it, that is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That He came, He was crucified for me, for my sins. He died, He was buried, and He rose again from the dead. That is all of our hope as followers of Jesus in a nutshell. 1 Peter 1.3, Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Resurrection. I'll tell you, as a pastor, year in and year out, when Easter rolls around, it's one of the messages that I look forward to least. And it's because so much pressure tends to be put on Easter Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. This is a big one. This is when all the people are going to come. You get them once a year. Get it right. And on the other hand, this is the Sunday that everybody knows and follows Christ, all believers. Man, if you haven't heard the resurrection message, then you're probably not a believer in Jesus because that's why you're a believer in Jesus. Right? The resurrection message. The story of the cross, of the burial, of that glorious resurrection on the third day. But we've heard the story. Over and over and over, we've heard the story. I blinked and I heard the story again. You know, wasn't it just last Easter in the barn that we were talking about this? And yet as I prayed earlier, we talk about this all the time because it is the core and the center of our faith. And when you talk about Jesus, this is not the aspect to shy away from. He died for my sins and He resurrected. (laughs) Excuse me? Oh, He resurrected. (laughs) He what? He resurrected from the dead. Yes, He did. Absolutely. Supernaturally. Wonderfully. Jesus Christ resurrected and now lives and is coming for me, man. And if you believe in Him, He's coming for you too. It is the central tenet of the message. Crucifixion, resurrection, both. That's the Gospel. Don't shy away from any of it. Because in my flesh, I might say, well, <laughs> yeah, but you don't understand, Rick. I, I, people come to me and they and they and we talk about Jesus, but we get to resurrection and that's where they just tune me out. My friends, the resurrection is the power of the message. You don't want to try and logic them into it. You just tell the truth and let the power of God be at work. Because the message is true. Lazarus could tell you all about it. He was born, he blinked, and he blinked again. (laughs) As shafts of bright sunlight came rushing through the walls of his tomb. Skip down to verse 38. Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, typical in the Middle East, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said remove the stone Martha the sister of the deceased the practical one said to him I added that said to him Lord by this time there will be a stench for he's been dead four days Jesus said to her did I not say to you that if you believe you will see the glory of God so they removed the stone then Jesus raised his eyes and said Father I thank you that you've heard me I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that may, you may they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! Not like in the Son of God movie. Where I heard, because I didn't actually see it, that he goes into the tomb and goes, Hey Lazarus! Why can't Hollywood just get it right? Just get it right. Well, I don't know. It's just awfully hard to believe that a man just spoke words and a guy raised from the dead. <laughs> you know what? If you, can't, if you can believe a guy can be raised from the dead, then how it's done really is kind of inconsequential. <laughs> Jesus standing outside calls out in a booming voice, Lazarus, come forth. The word is he cried out with a loud voice. John was making it clear. Lazarus is on the other side of the stone. Someone's got to be loud about this, right? Lazarus, come forth. And the man who died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings. The first mummy movie. (laughs) And his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What a marvelous story. True. It's a true story of great significance in this whole conversation is actually about resurrection now Lazarus in the Hebrew his name is Eleazar uh, in the Greek Lazarus is the Greek uh, rewriting of the name I don't know why languages can't just leave names well enough alone we probably should be worshiping Yeshua but if you want to worship Jesus I do too that's fine I had someone ask me about that once, side note. Why? Because I'm on tea this morning and it's a side note that just came to my mind. <laughs> had someone say, shouldn't we call Him Yeshua? That's His Hebrew name and, and not Jesus, which is our Englishized name. And I said, well, the only problem is that you've got the entire New Testament that calls Him Jesus. So are you going to call Him Yeshua, Yesus, Jesus, friend? I mean, just, you know, whatever you do, call Him. That's the point. So his name is Eleazar, his name is Lazarus in the Greek, but his name means whom God helps. Whom God helps, and boy, did he! So that's the thing about death, it is only well navigated by those whom God helps. Let me say that again. Death is only well navigated by those whom God helps. Without the hand of God, without the help of God, there is no navigation for death. You've never been there. I've never been there. How do we get through to where we need to be? Lazarus in the grave was he whom God helps. The raising of Lazarus has been called by some the great sign. It's the seventh sign of the seven signs in the Gospel of John. You Bible students, you know we've been talking about this. John recorded seven seven supernatural signs. In his Gospel, seven miracles, if you will. He just calls them signs. Why? Because the miracles are the parables. The parables are the signs. He is showing through these true stories, these miraculous signs of Jesus, who Jesus is. And that's John's intention in the Gospel. Seven aspects of Jesus' divine nature, or what we've called His Godness. Ways that John says, look at what He did, and now consider, is He or is He not God among us. God in the flesh. In John chapter 2 verses 1 through 12, Jesus changes water into wine, an elemental change, a miracle of divine transformation. Let me just say this to my Christian brothers and sisters who like to imbibe on occasion. John chapter 2 is not an argument for inebriation. That is not the point of the miracle. If you look at it that way, you miss the point of the miracle. It's not to proof text whether or not you can have a beer on an Easter Sunday. The point of changing water to wine is to show who Jesus is. And He changes at the molecular level. He changes Water into wine, it's it's something no one can do. He did. The second sign, John chapter 4 verses 46 through 54, Jesus heals an official's son. Displaying the deific power of the spoken word, he heals the son at a distance, just speaks, and the son is healed. John chapter 5, the third sign, he heals a lame man by the pool of Bethesda, there in Jerusalem. And we see godly power at work, even on the Sabbath, as Jesus said, my Father's always working, and I am working right now. Why are you working, Jesus? Because the Father's working. What do you mean? I and the Father are one. God's working, I'm working. If I'm working, God's working. The fourth sign, John chapter 6 verses 1 through 14, he feeds 5,000 men, and that's pointed out just to say that that doesn't, that number doesn't include women and children who are also gathered there. 10,000, 15,000 people is a miraculous, uh, feeding there, and it reminds the people and reveals both the presence and the provision of God, just like he fed them manna in the wilderness. Now along comes Jesus and does the same thing. Feeds a multitude miraculously. The fifth sign is in John chapter 6, where Jesus walks on the Sea of Galilee, and it's the first time we hear Him declare, proclaim, I am, as He comes to save those who are out of their depth, literally. The sixth sign. Jesus restores the sight of a blind man, which is exactly what the prophet said Messiah, God in flesh, would come and do. He sends the blind man, remember the story, to go wash in the pool of Siloam down in the city of David. Siloam meaning the sent one. Why would He go wash there? Because I'm the sent one. That's what Jesus is indicating. He's the light of the world, sent by God, equal to God, revealing the heart of God and opening up and revealing the heart of man. Six signs. And then we come to the apex. The seventh Sign The great sign. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And you can see when you line up the signs how they kind of crescendo up to this final sign, this amazing miracle. Now there will be a greater sign in the Gospel of John and that is Jesus' resurrection of Himself. But these are the things He did to reveal who He was before He went to the cross, before He died at Calvary. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 tells us, I remind you, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written, these seven signs, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Because I live, you will live also. Life in His name. The raising of Lazarus is the great sign. And when Jesus says, because I live, you will live also, you got to believe He lives. Otherwise, what's the point? Stay home and look for eggs, man. Now, Jesus had raised the dead before Lazarus. This is now the third time in the Gospel account, the Gospel records, when you look at all four together, the third time Jesus raised somebody from the dead. But even that's a crescendo. Even that's fascinating to me, because the first time, Mark chapter 5, Matthew chapter 9, Luke chapter 8, Jesus raised the synagogue leader's daughter from her deathbed. In other words, she had just died. You know, so all he had to really do in there was take the paddles and go clear, <clears throat> and she was good. People could say that. Well, she just died. Maybe she wasn't quite dead. Maybe it hadn't been that long, and she just kind of spontaneously, you know, came back to life. That happens. Okay, I'll give you that one. No, I won't. I still believe it was absolutely a miracle. But the second raising from the dead, in Luke chapter 7, he raises a widow's son who's on the way to the grave. Now, by Jewish custom, Burial had to happen in 24 hours. They point to the law. And so they say, if a person dies, you need to get them buried within 24 hours. So now we have, not Jairus's daughter, the synagogue leader's daughter, who had just died and is on her deathbed still lying there. Now you have a guy who's died, but they're taking him to the grave, and we're still within this 24-hour period. The raising of Lazarus is a great sign, absolutely unique, because by the time Jesus arrived, the dude was four days dead in the tomb. Add a day or so of preparation of his body and getting him ready to take him and put him in that tomb, four to five days, he has been dead. Why was Jesus so late? Go back to the beginning of the chapter and let's walk a couple things out here. In John 11, verse 1, it says, A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And we will see that story in John chapter 12. So John's referring to something that hadn't happened yet, but everybody, by the time they got John's Gospel, knew that story. Okay? So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, He said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Who gets the glory? God or the Son? Both. Because you don't glorify one without glorifying the other. And we need to understand that. Isaiah 48 verse 11, God says, for my own sake, for my own sake I will act, for how can my name be profaned, and my glory I will not give to another. But here Jesus says, this sickness will not end to death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Shared glory. Father and Son. I keep pointing this out. I know I, I, maybe it sounds like I'm harping on this, but as we go through the Gospel of John, if we don't understand by this point now who Jesus says He is, then we have missed it. He claims to be God over and over and over and over through this Gospel, which is John's point. That's why he wrote it. To make that absolutely clear. This was the issue that incensed His enemies and drew His disciples. John 10.30, I and the Father are one. But we need to understand something here. Sometimes when we do Bible study, when we study theologically, we can look at all the theological ramifications of it. We can look at it studiously. We consider all the things that it means and, and, and even the powerful moments. But we can... Miss the heart of what's going on. What are you saying? This was no callous, cold-hearted, calculative move to prove a theological point. When Jesus says, this is so that God will be glorified, this sickness will not end in death, this sickness is about God's glory. That's what's going on here. He's not saying, ah, Lazarus is sick, he's suffering, he's in pain, he's probably gonna die, but you know what? It's okay because God's gonna be glorified. He's not making a painful situation more painful by turning it into a discussion on theology. Do you understand what I'm saying? And sometimes we can do that. Don't ever forget, especially when you're sharing about Jesus, that the issue is not proving your theology. The issue is a compassionate God who loves all people. And in fact, the next verse tells us that. Verse 5, John is clear. He points out, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The word is agapao. When He says this sickness will not end in death, He knew that Lazarus was going to die. He knew. That's why He delayed. This was all part of the plan. And the raising of Lazarus was not something that was an afterthought. Or as Jesus stood out there, as Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible, it's the one I learned before any others, because it was so easy. As Jesus wept, it wasn't that in that moment He went, this just can't be. we got to raise this guy back up. No. This was part of the plan all along. But as the plan is unfolding here, John makes it clear, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He really loved this family. They were perhaps as close to Him as anybody. Peter, James, John... Mary, Martha, Lazarus. When He was in Jerusalem, that was where He stayed more often than not. If He wasn't sleeping out under the stars on the Mount of Olives, He crossed over the Mount of Olives to the backside, Bethany, and stayed with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were like sisters and brother to Him. He loved them. And hey, good news! The 911 call got through to Jesus and he said Lazarus isn't going to die think about that i got to read into it just a little bit here a messenger is sent from Mary, Martha and Lazarus to Jesus about the illness the messenger hears Jesus say this will not end in death what did the messenger do? I'm guessing raced back to Mary, Martha and Lazarus and said he's on his way it's all good he's coming, it'll be fine it, it, Lazarus, no worries here and I would imagine in that moment, Martha and Mary, and perhaps even Lazarus himself, oh, just heaved a, heaved a sigh of relief. Jesus knows. he's on the way. It's all good. It's like when they finally put you in the bed in the ER. You know, I, back in I think it was 2009 now, I lose track of time. but you've heard the story some of you, of the heart situation I had. Having incredible heart pain. Heart pain's no fun. And the first time this happened, it actually happened twice, it's been years. I'm I'm in good shape now, but it's been years that it since it happened. But the first time, Cheryl and I get in the car and I am just writhing in pain. And she's driving from our house here, right off Cornet Bay, all the way over to Island Hospital. And I'm saying don't stop, don't look at the stop signs, drive, drive. It was the worst drive of her entire life, I guarantee you. It's not like a a relaxing Sunday afternoon drive. I mean, she was in an absolute panic to get me there as fast as possible without crashing, you know, driving off the bridge or something. And when we got to the ER, and I'm just sweating and pain and all that. Get to the ER, they got me to the bed even before the morphine, which was good. (laughs) It was, I loved everybody. <laughs> but even before that started to take effect and the pain began to subside, just being there, we both had a sense, okay, now we can get some help. Okay, it's, it's going to be all right. This is going to be, we, you know, the doctors are on it, they're doing their stuff, they're working their program, it's going to be Okay. And so I imagine that that is what Mary, Martha, and Lazarus must have thought. Jesus knows. Jesus said it's not going to end in death. Okay, message, message secure. He's coming this way. And then a day goes by. And another day. Lazarus dies. And Jesus has not come. Apparently the ministry was more important than the friendship. Apparently he was just too busy to come save one of His closest friends. Verse 6. So when He heard that He was sick, He then stayed two days longer in the place where He was. And then after this, He said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. If He loved them, why not get their post-haste as opposed to post-mortem? <laughs> why not rush? Why not drop everything in your ministry and go, Lord? Verse 17, skip down. When Jesus came, He found that He had already been in the tomb four days, as we read. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went out to meet Him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died you ever said the same thing or even thought it Lord if you had been here Lord if you had only done this Lord if you had only intervened then then this tragedy might not have happened at all where were you I mean maybe even it's something that you wouldn't say out loud but you think and a person struggling with faith altogether would say that out loud where's your God? where was he on 911? Where was he at the Kenyan University when 147 mostly Christians were gunned down by radical Muslims? Where was he? If you had been here, Lord, my brother would not have died. I guess ministry does just take precedence over friendship, huh? Not when your ministry is all about relationship. I mean Jesus was all relationship. That's the whole point. That he knows you and you know him, and we're together. And if ever there was an opportunity Jesus had to show how important a relationship was, it would have been then. Drop it, Lord, and get to their side. But where he sees tragedy or where we see tragedy, he sees opportunity. Where we see sorrow, he sees comfort. Where we see death, he sees life. He just has a better perspective. Bible even says, by the way, for those who have lost loved ones close to you and wondered where the Lord was, Isaiah 57 verse 1 says, the righteous man perishes and no one takes it to heart. And devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from evil. Now see, that's God's perspective. He, to take someone out is a blessing, is a marvel, is a wonder, it's life. And we have loss. And on this side of eternity, struggle sometimes with these things. But from the godly perspective, man, it's opportunity, it's comfort, it's life. And Jesus knew these things. And Jesus knew something else that they did not know. Back in 1817, this is not it. <laughs> Ben Franklin said, In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Have you done your taxes yet? I imagined asking that question that somebody was going to jump up and race out the door. In 1936, Margaret Mitchell, the uh, author of Gone with the Wind, wrote, Death, taxes, and childbirth. There's never any convenient time for any of them. (laughs) Well, Jesus paid His taxes. He did. He rendered unto Caesar what was Caesar's, even if He had to fish it out of the mouth of a tilapia. He made sure the tax was paid. If you don't know that story, look it up. But as for death, there's no fishing around with it. As for death, it is absolutely certain. Those who say death and taxes are the only two certain things. No, you can you can skirt taxes. I'm not going to get into that right now. <laughs> and I'm not supporting that, by the way. Don't get me wrong. But you cannot avoid the appointment of death. There's some words you might want to jot down this morning. And the first one is appointment. 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 Job 30 verse 23 says I know that you will bring me to death and to the house of meeting for all living. That's the appointment. Psalm 89:48 What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? And then the psalmist writes, "Selah," in other words, think
1: about it.
0: <laughs> Hebrews 9:27 For it is appointed for men to die once, and after this, judgment. Appointment. God never misses an appointment, either to death or to judgment. Both are on the calendar. But I point this out to say, with the story of Lazarus, God's calendar doesn't look like mine doesn't look like I would expect it sometimes to look. Psalm 139.16 In your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. And I'm convinced if you looked into God's appointment book, you would find Lazarus' name and two appointments with the mortician. Because he would die, be raised, and he would die again. That flies in the face of it is appointed for men to die once. That's kind of a subversion of that verse. It's, Lazarus would die twice. So, by the way, would the widow's son. So, by the way, would the synagogue leader's daughter. Every resurrection performed by Jesus before His resurrection would give a person a second chance, but they would die again. So it was resurrection unto life unto death. Appointment. God knows every schedule by the way (laughs) Lazarus would know two resurrections the resurrection of Jesus in this story it back to life and another resurrection which guarantees you'll see him and be able to have the conversation with him about this someday probably sooner as opposed to later That still doesn't tell us what Jesus knew that they did not. So read on. Verse 22, Martha says, Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I get it, she says. That's my hope. The sweet by and by. I believe that, Lord. What Martha didn't know, didn't understand, was in that moment, she was staring resurrection in the face. She was looking at resurrection. What are you saying, Rick? Martha and Mary had called for the great physician. Instead, God showed up. And I don't believe she yet fully understood that. Here, in the seventh sign... Suddenly comes rushing in the fifth I am statement. They gloriously collide as Jesus gives the second word assurance. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection, Martha. She said, I believe that Lazarus will rise in the resurrection. The resurrection. I am the resurrection. You're talking to him. I am the hope. I am the only hope of resurrection. He is in and of himself. Because I live, he says, you will live also. John chapter 5 verse 21, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. (laughs) Truly I say to you, John 5 25, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And He was speaking in that moment of Lazarus, yes, and of all those who would come to Him in faith. And listen to this. Some 50, 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus, and perhaps even after the writing of this Gospel... Jesus shows up to John in resurrected, glorified form. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, and says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. And these are not keys for locking up. These are keys for letting out. It's not about confinement. It's about freedom. The great sign of the resurrection of Lazarus, whom God helps, lays in the pattern of resurrection to come. Here's what Jesus knew. It was only a pattern. It was only a picture. But the finished work was eternal. The actual resurrection that this was just a picture of was forever Lazarus, again, like the synagogue leader's daughter, like the widow's son, would die again, which is why this is only a sign. It's a great sign, but it's just a sign. A sign can only take you so far. A sign is given to point you to the reality, to the truth, to the actuality. And it's the next statement of Jesus that grabs hold of me and blows my mind. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Okay, that's the sweet by and by. If you pass away in this life believing in Jesus, you will rise again. But he doesn't stop there. He says, And everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to Him, Lord, I have believed that You are the Christ, the Son of God, even He who comes into the world. Which isn't quite what he was asking. Martha says, I believe in you. (laughs) He says, do you believe this? That I am the resurrection and the life. That if you die believing in me, yet you will live. And if you live, you'll never see death. It's almost too much for Martha to take in. And so her response is, I believe in you. Good enough. Good enough, Martha. But Jesus brings us to anticipation. You see, the appointment is death. There's no getting around that. Well, at least that's what we thought. The assurance is that Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. Anticipation. Anticipation. Jesus is not talking about here the immediate impending raising of Lazarus from the dead. What Jesus is talking about very clearly in verses 25 and 26. He's unveiling the resurrection for all believers. The resurrection. Capital V. To those who are dead and to those who are alive. What do you mean? To Lazarus, Jesus said, Come forth! To all who believe, He will say, Come up here! You see... Jesus is anticipating here the moment that the Bible calls the rapture of the church. The Greek is the harpazo, the catching up of the church. 1 Corinthians fifteen, fifty one. Behold, if you've heard this verse a hundred times, make it three hundred. Okay? Listen closely. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Instantly when that trumpet blows. When Jesus calls out, come up here. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord Himself would descend from heaven with a shout. That's the shout, I think. Come on! Time to go! Come forth! Come up here! with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. See, that's the benefit of dying in Christ. You get to go first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. What is he talking about? There will be those alive who have not died. And note this, will be resurrected. What? What? I thought you had to be dead to be resurrected. We are dead! Every last one of us. You're dead, man. You're dead, woman. We're dead people walking. (laughs) Until Jesus gets a hold of us. And then the promise is the promise of resurrection. It hit me this week, I really can't talk about our resurrection without talking about the rapture. Because if I do, then what I'm doing is limiting the resurrection to the raising of Lazarus. I'm making it as small as, as simply a sign rather than the great reality. It's Martha's perspective, and unfortunately, it pervades many in the church. Martha's perspective that someday, somehow, some way, God's going to do it. I just got to struggle along here until, you know. He, Jesus tells us how. The Bible lays it out for us so that we might know what's ahead. That we might, with Jesus, anticipate what's coming. God's going to do it, yes, but Jesus tells us how. He says, For those who believe in Me and die, you will be resurrected to instantaneous, glorious new life. Right up out of the grave, new body, new life. But for those who believe in Jesus and live... That is, those who are alive, the moment that He comes, resurrection to instantaneous, glorious, new life. You see, the dead are dead, and the bodies are going to have to be raised up and glorified and and eternalized. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains that. In the twinkling of an eye, the perishable puts on the imperishable, and up they go. Well, that makes sense to me. Dead, raised, resurrection. But the reality of the resurrection is the alive are raised as well. Those alive in Christ at the time of His coming will instantaneously go through the same change from perishable body to imperishable. From mortal to immortal. The resurrection. I will be resurrected out of a life that will die to a life that lives forever. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. But it's appointed for a man once to die. How does that work? There are those who will never die. I've had conversations with people about different uh, characters in the Bible and two of the unique ones are Moses and Elijah and there's a third one, Enoch. Now, if you know the stories of scriptures, you know in Genesis chapter 5, Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5 tells us it's because he was pleasing to God so God just said, come on home and, and home he went. And we've talked about this actually recently. Enoch in Genesis chapter 5 is a picture of the rapture. He was the first person raptured. Caught up. And so he violates the very simple principle. It is appointed once for a man to die and then comes judgment. Because he didn't die. And so because of that, there are those who say, yeah, but he will die. Revelation 11, God sends back two witnesses, two prophets who prophesy until they are murdered in Jerusalem. And their bodies lie there for three and a half days and then they are resurrected to life and they get raptured. So Enoch's going to be one of those because Enoch never died and Elijah never died. Enoch and Elijah, the two witnesses. I beg to differ. I don't believe the two witnesses are Enoch and Elijah. I believe the two witnesses are Moses and Elijah, and I believe that because if you look at Revelation 11, the description of the power is power that was displayed only by Moses and by Elijah. Now let's just study that out on your own time, but I'm making a different point here. I don't believe that Enoch will ever taste death. Why? For the same reason I don't believe that anyone in the church who are alive when Jesus calls us home will ever taste death. Why? Why? Because both Enoch and the church are outside of the law. Enoch was pre law. Believers in Jesus, my friends, we are post law. We are no longer bound by the law. It is appointed for every man to die and then judgment. Well, guess what? I miss my judgment appointment. Like I almost missed my ticket appointment on uh, Thursday. You don't want to do that. It's the last one in the court and the judge made me sit there the whole time. I hate that feeling. I missed the appointment with judgment. I am not judged. (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, that's good news, right? Did anyone want to be judged? No, I really want to line up for that. I sat there with that group. It's so funny. The whole ticket thing. I just I, I'm not going to preach on it cuz I'll say something wrong. I know it. But the whole getting tickets for for speeding and traffic tickets and you all sit there in court together. You know, 20 or 30 people and your heads are hung low. <laughs> I mean, you are the dregs of society, man. You are. You're the idiot who couldn't keep it under 60. You know, what's wrong with you people? Just filth. Who wants that? Who wants judgment? I don't want judgment. And so Jesus died on the cross, and He took my judgment. That was my appointment. And He kept it. He took all of my shame and my guilt and my filth and all of that head hung low and He died at Calvary and then rose from the dead and it's gone, man. It's gone. I have no judgment. I am not judged by the law. Man, when the law came in, the world suddenly realized how sin sick it was. Before the law, Enoch caught up because it was pleasing to God. He's not about the law. Neither are you if you believe in Jesus. The law cannot pin you down. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, Indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. That's how you feel in the courtroom, by the way. <laughs> For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan. Being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Resurrection. Which means if you have died in Christ, that dead, decaying body will be swallowed up by life. Resurrection. But if you're alive in Christ when He comes, same exact process. Your body just doesn't have to come out of the grave. You're standing there. And I got to tell you, like Paul said, I'm torn. I'm torn. Many Christians today will say, I'm hanging out for the, I'm holding out for the rapture. Well, then you're going to go up second. Because everyone who's died in Christ gets to go first. So there's a blessing there. And yet, to be standing here and suddenly, shh, up I go, I mean, that, that's awesome too. Paul says, which one? I don't know. I can go either way. So I'll leave it in the hands of God to decide what's best only one way all of this can work I am the resurrection and the life it all works in Jesus Lazarus came out of the rock-hewn tomb because Jesus listen, because Jesus was there alive to call him out of the tomb that's why he resurrected I will rise because Jesus is alive to call me out of this body of death. Resurrected. It's because He lives. It's because He lives. And if Christ has not been raised, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, 17, your faith is worthless, you're still in your sins. Even those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Paul is saying, if your Christianity is simply a moral code, a social way of living, pity on you. What a horrible way to just live if that's all it is. But... Now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep, as Jesus says, because I live, you will live also. Skip down and look at verse 44. And the man who died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, his face wrapped around with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I wonder what that was like. I mean, was it like Letting loose a top and watching it spin. You know, as they're pulling the wrappings off of Lazarus and he spins around, just goes running off into the hills. Lazarus, come back! <laughs> I <knew> I'm
1: alive! <laughs>
0: Let him go, man! Jesus was there to get Lazarus out. And if you believe in Jesus this morning, he is there to get you out. That's the wonder of the resurrection. He's alive to call you out. That you might live even as He lives. A great sign. But in a matter of days, maybe weeks, after this glorious resurrection, a couple of weeks perhaps later, on a dark, dismal, hopeless day, The man who said, I am the resurrection and the life, was himself bound up, shrouded in the tomb in death. But death could not hold him. And he rose again three days later and took up his life. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. What do you say to that? Say, He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. risen Oh, you're all good Greeks. (laughs) What is it? Christos Aneste? I think that is. Alethos Aneste. Something like that. Christ is risen. Amen. Amen. Now, I would be unfair if I left it right there. I want to ask you all this morning to seriously consider, do you know the direction of your resurrection? Do you know the direction? Do you know which way you're going? Because here's another reality we got to face and be fully aware of. Everyone will be resurrected. Everyone. Believer, non-believer alike will be resurrected. Some will be resurrected from death even as others will be resurrected from life. But the real question is, what will you be resurrected to? Will it be joy? Everlasting life? Or will you be among those resurrected to judgment and everlasting death? It is appointed once for men to die, and after this, judgment. And as we've seen, Lazarus had an appointment with death, but because Jesus lived, the appointment was canceled. And because He lives, He would also cancel your appointment with death and with judgment. Daniel writes in Daniel 12.2, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. There's a choice to be made here. Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. First resurrection means there's a second resurrection. The first resurrection is the rapture of the church. It is the resurrection of all who believed into glorious eternal bodies forever. The second resurrection is described this way. Revelation 20, verse 13. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged. Every one of them according to their deeds. There is a resurrection unto death and condemnation. And there's a resurrection unto life. Eternal. Salvation. And the question that we have to deal with and not shy away from, is which will it be? The whole world recognizes resurrection on this particular day. Which resurrection will you choose? I was born, I blinked, and it was over. Or, I was born, I blinked, and in the twinkling of an eye, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed.
1: Amen.
0: Father, we we come before You this morning and we recognize as we have already declared absolutely the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the wonder, the joy, Father, is because He lived, we live also. Because You were there to call Lazarus out of the tomb, Lazarus lives. Because, Lord, You're there to call me out of the death of this body, I will live forever. Yes, Lord, I believe that. I believe exactly what You said. We take You at Your Word, Lord Jesus. And we praise You this Resurrection Sunday. We praise You, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Rachel, come on up. Let's stand up together.